EMS One Academy is the leading way in high-quality, affordable training for EMTs and paramedics nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 150 full-length training courses and 225 hours of EMS continuing education in a robust learning management system. Training is accredited by the Commission on Accreditation of Pre-Hospital Continuing Education. Administrative features include group administration, credential management, custom course creation, assignments, offline training tracking, and more, all customized to meet the needs of the EMS training officers. To schedule a free demo, go to ems1academy.com. EMS. I'm Kelly Grayson, and for myself and co-host Chris Ciballero, who I'm subbing for this week, that's why I'm extra loud and obnoxious today, we're welcoming Greg Fries, Editor-in-Chief of EMS One, to our podcast to talk about uh, emerging technology and EMS. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Kelly, thanks so much. Usually I'm able to uh, do the show just with Chris and avoid having actual conversation with you, so this is uh, either a treat or torture. I can't decide which. Well, if if you want a treat, I can go ahead and do my Greg Freeze impression for you in person. No, we'll pass on that. I think uh-huh. the listeners have had enough in the first 150 episodes. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, what I, I'm more interested in talking about is uh, I've got one of these Alexa gizmos, the Amazon Echo. Oh, yeah. And I can, re- I can request uh, Alexa to play songs. Uh, to give me updates on the weather, to solve math problems, to even start a metronome, uh, to look up information about medications, to spell words for me. And, you know, I also have Siri on my iPhone, and I know there's a Google device. And how is it that we have all this uh, voice-activated technology in our homes and in our cars, uh, but we don't have any of it? in EMS? That's a, that's an excellent question, man. And I, I think it's, it's high time. We, uh, we integrated, uh, modern technology into, into our monitoring and, and into our capabilities. Um, I'm, I wonder how much device and monitor manufacturers have, have started to look at that sort of thing. Um, of course, you know, uh, of course, uh, Alexa's great, but can you, can you get her to open the pod bay doors for you? Will she do that, or does she say, or does she say, "I'm sorry, Greg, I'm afraid I can't do that." Um, I don't understand your question. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I I've just done some very informal uh, polling with uh, vendors, and the uh, I I'm commonly told two things come up. Well, this is uh, this is a medical device. We can't just uh, change up the operating system that easily. Uh, maybe there's uh, things with FDA clearances. I don't know what all. And then on the EPCR side, what I've heard is like, oh, there's so many voices in an ambulance, amb- ambient noise levels. It'll never work. Um, and, and as soon as I hear somebody say it'll never work, I think, well, somebody's about to clean their clocks with a version of it that will work. Yeah. Um, because it's it's only it's a computer programming problem at this point and not uh, some sort of technology breakthrough problem. 
yeah, the the technology exists. The question is is how we integrate it. And and I I don't right. really buy the the notion that that uh, this is going to require significant uh, hurdles as far as FDA approval. Um, how much different would it be to integrate a voice technology or a voice command module into an existing cardiac monitor, um, but still leave the manual controls in place? So in other words, yeah. uh, the monitor itself doesn't really change. You just add a device to interface to that. And if you don't use it, well, it's still the same old monitor. Um, and, and if right. I could get Siri to understand my Southern drawl, uh, I don't buy the I don't buy the the argument uh, from from tablet and and EPCR vendors uh, that uh, they can't do that with their own. You know, Acadian Ambulance was doing uh, voice. Uh, um, Acadian Ambulance was was doing uh, uh, voice transcription uh, for a number of years, um, and and did well with it uh, before they got their current EPCR programs. Um, the, the problem with the uh, with the transcription was not that uh, it was hard to do or it was impossible or the technology didn't exist. Uh, the problem was is that our medics abused the system and did not use the template that was provided to them, uh, and they were that they refused to uh, to dictate uh, in the in the template provided. So they just uh, they, yeah. they quit uh, offering oh. that. To us. Yeah, that's so. I think that's an interesting finding there. So some of it's on the user side, right? And then oh, yeah. uh, enforcement. Um, I, I want to back up a little bit, though, and imagine some different uses uh, for voice-activated technology. And I was uh, pondering this for a recent edition of the Paramedic Chief, where we looked at emerging technologies uh, for oh, EMS. Yeah. And there's an article in there um, that I wrote. Says, you know, it's titled, OK, Google, Deliver a Shock. Um, and, you know, there's any number of applications in the day-to-day -day routine of a paramedic or EMT where the device could have that, you know, whether it be accessing information on the device, you know, uh, you know, uh, cardiac monitor, start mm -hmm. uh, VFib, VTAC checklist, and, and then the monitor starts telling you things like start CPR, um, you know, establish IV, uh, do these other things um, where it's really acting as a code commander with checklist and or you're calling out things as you get them done, you know, epi given and, you know, that gets recorded into the device along with the timestamp and it, it synchronizes uh, where you're at on the rhythm strip that it's acquiring the whole mm -hmm. time or, you know, the, I, I remember talking to the folks that, Sedgwick County um, many years ago about their medication administration cross-check where it's two providers doing a cross-check, but, you know, why couldn't you do that with a machine? Uh, I, I want to start the uh, cross-check uh, and I'm going to give this medication and the machine repeats back to you the medication. You tell the machine the dose that you plan to give and the machine should be smart enough. I don't think, again, it's just to me a a programming issue to say, actually, your dose of uh, epi is not, you know, uh, 10 milliliters of 1 to 1,000. It's 10 milliliters of 1 to 10,000. Exactly. It corrects you before you make an error um, in the process. And, you know, I, I can quickly imagine a, a number of applications for 
voice activated technology. I'm, I'm wondering what kind of things come to mind for you, Kelly. Uh, well, aside from what you mentioned, um, yeah, the whole thing about using the code summary and the event recorder as voice activated, uh, technology, um, is that's, that's a, seems like to me, like a, a relatively simple fix. Um, and, and think about how much easier CQI would be, uh, if we made entering all these things into the code summary in, in the events recorder, uh, easier with voice activated technology. Um, yeah. Um, there, there would be no fudging it. You could just say, uh, monitor, record an epi IV push, uh, and boom, it's on there and appropriately time stamped with the rhythm before and the rhythm after, like it currently does. Only you don't have to reach over and press the button and scroll through the wheel of death on your life pack to, to get to that <laughs> menu. Um, and, uh, not only that, but, um, you could simply, there are so many other things you could do, like you, Alexa, start your medication cross-check. It's uh, how easy would it be to simply license uh, a, a medication uh, database like uh, Hippocrates, for example, uh, yeah. or any one of a number of them, uh, and, and simply just say, okay, um, and, and any medication you, you order uh, automatically be run through that database to, to make sure it's uh, appropriate. Uh, or, um, or if if there's a medication you can't identify, uh, or if you're worried about, uh, interactions of medications, uh, um, you know, Alexa run a medication, uh, uh, interaction, uh, checklist, uh, or you can simply say, Alexa, this is, this call is going to take a while. Can you TiVo our show for us back at the station? That would be (laughs) nice too. Yeah. (laughs) Alexa, this guy's really funky. Yeah, this guy's feet are really funky. Would you uh, activate the deodorant, Mister? Um, yeah. With Bluetooth. so the other you mentioned yeah. medications. Oh yeah. Um, that the you know we could also use the device to look up medications. Exactly. You know, okay, Google, what's lisinopril? Um, or you know maybe it's a medication that we're not familiar with. The patient tells us they take, um, and it could tell us right away. Um, what that medication is, you know, essentially becomes a drug guide instead mm-hmm. of flipping through the drug guide. You know, Alexa, what's placard thirteen fifty? Uh, while you're, you know, oh yeah, that was what a big the one for me. Emergency response guidebook mm-hmm. does. Um, you know, anything where there's a reference or a resource guide. Um, what's the next step in the protocol? Uh, again, you know, those things could be be in the machine and activated by voice. You know, one of the things that is, is always on my mind, Kelly, is, you know, the things that we touch while we're in the ambulance, the patient, the laptop, the radio, the cardiac monitor, um, our faces, our other equipment, and just creating some of these user interfaces so we don't have to touch them um, is really appealing to me of like, okay, you you put your hands, your gloves on the patient. Now you don't get to touch anything else. You just touch the patient and then you can exactly. talk to the machine and explain to the machine uh, what you need from it. I, I think we, we need to name our, our, our cardiac monitor AI. Uh, we need to name it Jarvis in, in uh, honor of that, uh, of that technology wizard, Tony Stark. Um, but <laughs> I did make a, I did make a reference that we should start our medication cross check with our paramedic partner, Hal. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Greg. I'm afraid I can't do that. Um, but you know, if but we could, a Jarvis if, might be more contemporary. This is true. Than my uh, reference. I can imagine doing all the peripherals that we do uh, with our current cardiac monitors. Why can't those be standalone, uh, standalone modules that you can add, purchase separately, add to your cardiac monitor, and your monitor itself? becomes more or less a dock to recharge uh, recharge and sync all of the peripherals. NIBP uh, with its own separate little motor uh, and or separate little compressor and sensors and send all that stuff back to the monitor. Uh, EKG your uh, integrate your your uh, pre-hospital point of care ultrasound, your capnography, all of these sorts of things. Uh, the technology pretty much already exists. Question is how, uh, what software can they write to make it interface with the monitor? But wouldn't it be sweet if we could attach all those peripherals and not have to worry about the the nightmare of spaghetti uh um tangling oh, yeah. everything up and getting in the way um and and then just automatically upload all that stuff to the cloud when we export our tickets um yeah. I, I, it's out there the question is, is is uh you know device manufacturers respond to uh respond to uh um needs uh, or, or when they explore, uh, sense a uh, market niche to exploit, uh, they know that we suck, for example, at endotracheal intubation profession-wide. We're not near as good as we think we are. Uh, and they know that we love new toys and gadgets more than education. So, hence the proliferation of uh, uh, all sorts of different superglottic airways and video laryngoscopy and, and all that sort of thing. Um, I think the only reason that they haven't uh, come up with with the devices and, and the sorts of interfaces you and I are discussing is because no one is clamoring for it yet. They don't sense a market. Yeah. Um, how much of that do you think is because you still have a, a, a very large population of, of EMS providers who kind of sneer at, uh, you know, uh, treat the patient, not the monitor, and you're supposed to know all that stuff without hooking stuff up to them and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point, Kelly. The And one I was actually going to ask you about is that, you know, when we first started getting uh, different apps for our phones that were, say, protocol guide or a medication guide um, or even the ERG, um, different reference materials, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of pushback from, oh, if you're a real paramedic, you would know what those medications are or, mm-hmm. you know, that book that, uh, you know, 11th edition of the nursing students drug guide, an app will never replace that. And, you know, I'm not going to look away from my patient to look at an app. Um, I, I don't have a good sense if, uh, if the resource materials have become, uh, so easily accessible and then, you know, it's culturally tolerant for, uh, people to look down at their phone uh, if that's changed much in terms of uh, EMS, I know my own experience as a patient, when I go to see uh, my physician, uh, the physician spends as much time looking at the uh, either existing documentation mm-hmm. or adding to my uh, patient, my EHR, my electronic health record, uh, laptop screen, as they spend looking at me. Um, and, you know, so I, I, there could be some patient tolerance just because that's our experience is that yeah. our healthcare providers are looking at screens. 
Well, it's it's always been my uh, it's been my observation that physicians and nurses uh, uh, generally or not not generally universally loathe electronic health records uh, because they spend so much time on a computer uh, and and very little time actually interfacing and, and talking with their patients. Um, uh, I think part of that is because EHRs, the software, is written by not written with the end user in mind. Um, and yeah. CMS and, and various insurers have uh, have uh, mandated their use, uh, and they don't care how much it detracts from our actual interaction and, and patient care and, and building a rapport and communication with our patient. They don't care. They just want the data. Uh, how that affects yeah. us is is, uh, is immaterial to them. Um, uh, and and I think uh, with the with the advent of of technology like you're describing um we have a unique opportunity to actually make our voice heard in in what we need in a cardiac monitor in the future uh or, or yeah. whatever technology it is we because you know this is the this is the silver lining to the black cloud uh we're behind the curve as far as electronics and 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 technology uh but uh, while the technology is still being developed or while we're advocating for more of it, um, we still have the opportunity to make our, our opinions heard and, uh, and voice our concerns on how that technology needs to be structured in the future. Um, yeah. Whereas what, physicians and nurses are already, you know, it's, it's already extant in their, yeah. in their practices, and they just have to deal with whatever the hospital administrators and the IT professionals hand them. Yeah, so I want you to imagine this scenario. So you respond to a call for a child that's been stung by bees, and you're doing your assessment, and you're pretty sure you're looking at anaphylaxis, and you mm-hmm. say to your monitor, Alexis, uh, start, Alexa, start anaphylaxis protocol. And uh, the machine says back to you, uh, does your, your patient have these symptoms, uh, you know, a widespread hives, uh, you know, some sort of exposure to an allergen and say difficulty breathing. And you say, yes, my patient has those symptoms. And then the machine says, uh, you know, what's the weight of your patient? Patient's 100 pounds. Administer, uh, and then the machine tells you to administer, uh, you know, 0.3 milligrams of epinephrine intramuscular. And, mm-hmm. and you drop and you go through a cross-check with the machine and then the machine tells you now administer uh, 50 milligrams of diphenhydramine. You know, three minutes later, reassess yeah. your patient. What? Is, so imagine that experience. Um, would you be comfortable um, taking orders from the machine in that way, or collaborating on uh, with the care? And then, how might that child's parents? perceive that care experience um, with you and the machine treating the kid uh, rather than, say, you and a partner or just you? Uh, Currently, with with the current level of technology, uh, I wouldn't be uh, comfortable with that sort of thing with the machine, you know, asking me, um, do you do you see these signs or symptoms using your anaphylaxis uh, scenario? For example, um, not everyone has hives and urticaria. 
not everyone right. has a great deal of, of facial or peripheral edema or anything like that. Um, so there, there still has to be a thinking medic uh, um, making clinical decisions augmented by the technology, not dependent upon the technology. And that's part of the, the problem there. I think that's one of the, the reasons so many providers approach that with some degree of, of trepidation. I think if we use the technology to further our knowledge of the patient and, and put more technology or put more information at our fingertips, um, that's going to be the first evolution in, in technology. Now, whether it, it, it the, uh, the artificial intelligence uh, gets to the point where it can actually collaborate with us uh, on patient care um, remains to be seen. Um, but I think the first step is is we just have to have more access to information. Um, you know, the, 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 the proponents of, say, pre-hospital uh, point-of-care ultrasound, Chris, Chris kind of uh, cocked an eyebrow at it, and I think it's a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty useful uh, tool um, where we're only starting to, to recognize its potential. Um, my general philosophy is, is it's never a bad thing to know more about your patient, whether you use it, right. uh, whether it, it significantly alters your treatment or not. If we have the ability to know more about our patient and about his condition, that's always going to be a good thing. Um, now, if we get paralyzed by all that additional information and we suffer from analysis paralysis and can't make a decision, that's not the fault of technology. That's the fault with the thought processes and the education of the individual provider. Um, by the same token, you, you talked about your doc spending most of his time uh, on the laptop. I'm sure he wishes he could do uh, he could spend more time talking with you. He's just right. uh, hamstrung hamstrung by the EHR requirements uh, of the uh, that the government has placed upon him. But you see so many new uh, older paramedics that say these new kids are are being graduated from school and they walk into the station or walk into the patient's home with their tablet computer in hand, spend more time typing on the computer uh, than they do making eye contact and smiling at the patient. That's a major problem, yeah. but that's not the fault of the technology. That's the fault of EMS right. instructors who have not taught their students how to interact with another human being uh, and integrate that not technology in the way that it should be integrated. So, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I think about with like, you know, your point about like, things that can give us more information about the patient mm -hmm. that, you know, alters on, for example. Um, and, and then, you know, the machine getting smart over time, whether this is programming, somehow this program happens. So the, the machine gets better at recognizing normal or abnormal and that the, because, you know, one part of using the ultrasound is, acquiring the information the other part is yeah. being able to interpreting uh, interpret that information and then you know are you looking at something that's normal or abnormal and you know one of my long-standing ideas with video laryngoscopy is you know how come these devices don't have vocal cord recognition and targeting uh built into them that you know just like facebook knows when a picture has my face on it versus yours versus chris you know, yeah. vocal cords have much less uh, variation than our faces. Um, you know, why isn't the device um, somehow changing the screen saying, yep, those are the vocal cords mm -hmm. um, and that either the lighting or 
um, targeting is applied or it's, you know, the yeah. end of every laryngeal or uh, endotracheal tube is the same. It seems to me like it wouldn't take much mm-hmm. for that device to recognize that the endotracheal tube has just gone into the esophagus. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's one of the, the biggest... Trachea. One of the biggest lies in the airway management. I saw the tube pass through the cords. Right. Uh, if I had a dollar for everyone who tubed the goose who said those very words, I'd be well. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I I wouldn't be uh, uh, having this conversation with you right now. I'd be on the beach somewhere with an umbrella drink, hanging out with all my new friends. But, yeah. Uh, well, because they don't. Enough. It, it, it's painfully obvious if you've ever done QA and QI, it's painfully obvious that a whole bunch of paramedics say that, but apparently do not know what vocal cords look like, or they wouldn't have said that after tubing the esophagus. Uh, but you still, even in this day and age, hear people say, I don't need capnography. The, the gold standard is watching the tube pass through the cords. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it is not. Um, uh, because too many people don't know what cords look like apparently. Yeah. So, the, you know, the other thing, once we add uh, uh, a voice to that cardiac monitor, uh, instead of it beeping or just that waveform going to zero, uh, the machine would say, hey, um, we're getting no pentyl uh, CO2. And somehow maybe use an alert, uh, you know, that might catch your attention sooner or be more specific. Um, and you, you mentioned how, you know, technology... Uh, one of the first things it can do is is put more information at our fingertips mm-hmm. or at our you know the sound of our voice. The other thing that I think about the, the is the error prevention has mm-hmm. to be pretty high on our list. That um, that's why I think about things like vocal cord recognition, um, a medication administration cross check, um, and and then also a checklist where the machine is prompting us to uh, take specific actions at specific time intervals. And I, I, I think one of the things that many of us are surprised by is, uh, oh, are, are we really due for another round of uh, epi or is it oh, really yeah. been, you know, 10 oh, yeah. minutes since we last checked the patient's blood pressure? And, you know, some of those are things that we can hand off to the machines to either do or to uh, prompt us. And if we can activate some of those things, either through pre-programmed checklists or just uh, activating them by voice rather than having to use some sort of manual interface, uh, more the better. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's many of the people that, that have a, turn a skeptical eye toward the technology and the, the things we're discussing. Um, uh, first of all, they, they operate by the adage that, you know, technology is bound to fail and you still need to know how to do things the manual way. And, and, and they have a point there. Uh, there are times when your NIBP machine is not going to be reliable. You still need to know how to auscultate a blood pressure. You still need to know, know how to do manual laryngoscopy, even though you've got a, uh, uh, a King Vision or, or whatever type of, of video scope that, uh, that currently resides in your box. Um, but it, the practice of medicine 
including pre-hospital medicine to, uh, in today's age, is has become so complex that we cannot expect to be able to do it proficiently without using some some technology and resources and tools and and guidelines uh, um, and and be able to consult uh, reference texts and and that sort of thing. Um, and if you don't find that the provision of medical care is complex these days, you are either one of two things. You are either deluded uh, or you are a master uh, at your profession. I think the first one is much more likely. Uh, if you don't think that medical care is complex these days, even in pre-hospital care, uh, then you're not practicing it at the appropriate level. Uh, if it's still simple to you, then you're still practicing it like it's 1990 and not uh, 2017. Um so it's all about cognitive offloading. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't yeah. need to think. It just means the, the trivia that you used to have to memorize, you don't have to memorize yeah. anymore. You have to, uh, you know, when people, when people complain about our, uh, uh, the millennials, for example, you know, they don't know how to talk to people. They're all immersed in their technology and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, millennials are not stupid. Um, and millennials yeah. are not really poorly educated. What they have learned with with the technology available to them is they've learned different ways to access information. Uh, and what we used to have to memorize, now they know how to look up. And that's their knowledge, uh, not memorizing facts to be able to regurgitate it at, at any point, but know how to access those facts quickly and efficiently, uh, something that previous generations did not know how to do. Um, and I, I'm all for that. If you can, if you, uh, uh, don't happen to memorize or, or know a particular drug dosage, I'm okay if you can use a cheat sheet and know when that's appropriate and when you can right. look it up. I would much rather you consult a reference guide and be able to and have the technological proficiency to be able to do that quickly rather than rely on the quicksands of memory and give the wrong dose. Um, so exactly. you know, that, that's the way our thinking and our cognitive processes have, have shifted in, in recent generations is because, uh, now it's not all about, uh, it's not all about knowledge retention and, and, uh, and, uh, being able to regurgitate it. It's, it's how to access that knowledge and knowing where to look for it. So I want to, uh, as we wrap up, I want to mm -hmm. pose another uh, technology question to you. And you mentioned uh, the idea of cognitive loading. And so there's a cognitive load associated with driving a vehicle like an e mm -hmm. And then you can add to that cognitive load uh, by operating a radio or looking at a mobile oh, data yeah. terminal. Uh, and so we know that uh, self-driving vehicles are coming and they're already on the road in some places. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a technology that certainly my kids will get a driver's license, uh, but I'm not convinced that my grandchildren will ever need to learn how to drive a vehicle um, other than for some uh, sense of nostalgia. So w would you, uh, you know, ride in an ambulance, work in an ambulance that uh, the machine is doing the driving and there's not somebody at the wheel or if that person at the wheel really is only there in a, a kind of backup capacity. <laughs> well, i tell you what, uh, given some of the, the partners I've had and their driving ability and ability to do it smoothly, uh, uh, I, I can't help but think that technology could do a better job than they have. Um, I, 
you know, I don't know about self-driving vehicles. I, I'll honestly, I'm not conversant enough with the current technology to know that that sort of thing uh, is going to be a reality for us uh, anytime soon. Um, I know that you know, I we drove a rental car the other day that had lane assist and 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 would parallel park for you and 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 did it well. Um, I still want the ability to manually override pretty much anything in the car, um, but. Uh, you know, anything that we can do to reduce distractions uh, should be done. And, and you know, those things, that doesn't require a breakthrough in technology. That's out there right now. That just requires right. some coach manufacturer and chassis manufacturer putting those options in. Um, I remember when I was in high school, a friend got a, a, a little Nissan sports car that had a heads-up display projected on the lower half of the windshield. Um, why can't we have that for our ambulances right this very second. Why can't we have touch to talk or voice activated radio siren and PA controls, lighting controls right there on our steering wheel hub and have our map, uh, our, our turn by turn directions and map projection projected in a heads up display right there on the front of the dash. That, that yeah. technology is out there. And, and I've for years said, you know, one day uh, I'm going to find a venture capitalist that'll bankrupt, uh, bankroll Kelly's perfect ambulance steering wheel, and I'm going to become a millionaire. Uh, but you know, I, 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 15 years ago, I was saying there's no reason we should have to reach over for a console to turn on our siren, to activate our, our, uh, emergency lights, uh, to, uh, to pick up a mic to do our radio. Uh, all we should have to do is have an integrated microphone in the steering wheel or in the in the uh, ceiling right above our heads and be able to just press a button on the steering wheel and talk. Press a different button to, to activate the PA. Um, have all your lighting controls right there on the steering wheel. Why should I have to look away from the road to look at route right. instructions or have my partner uh telling me turn by turn directions as he's staring at the uh, video screen and not scanning uh, uh, outside the ambulance and, and augmenting my situational awareness. Uh, that stuff needs to be there right now, but I don't think it's there because we're not clamoring for it loud enough. They don't sense a demand. So Kelly, I, of course, a big fan of the self-driving ambulance because if the ambulance was driving itself, then I could hold my coffee cup and I'd quit complaining about not having a cup holder. Yeah. If it gets good enough, you could put two people in the back working, uh, doing patient care and you don't, you don't have to have additional personnel costs. Uh, that would be nice too. If the technology ever matures to that point. Um, but that's always been my metric for smooth driving uh, as well. Uh, if you can drive around rookie without me spilling my coffee, then then you're okay to take uh, you're okay to drive uh, emergent patients to the hospital as well. Well, and if the uh, self-driving ambulance hits less curbs than the uh, firefighter or police officer you asked to drive exactly. you in, uh, even if one less, even better. That's that's sort it's of been fun talk, Kelly. Good. Yeah. Yeah, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it, Greg. But, hey, that's right. what I think. That's what Greg thinks. We'd like to hear what you think. What are the what are some of the emerging technologies you'd like to see integrated into EMS practice? What are some of the things that give you a little pause, a little trepidation? You don't think it's a real good idea? We'd love to hear your thoughts. So email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, who's under the weather today, and our special guest, EMS1 Editor-in-Chief Greg Freeze, this is Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. 
we'll catch you guys next week.